0: Greetings from Latter-day Media, presenting our dear friend and epic historian on Joseph Smith and Church History, Brother Kay Godfrey. This next section will be in three parts, The Echo of a Beating Heart, Part 1.
1: Today we're going to begin a series of podcasts that are entitled The Echo of a Beating Heart. Uh, Today's podcast will cover the years of 1830 and 1831, so join with me now as we follow in the footsteps of Joseph and follow to the echo of a beating heart. With the church legally organized and the Book of Mormon printed and ready for distribution, missionary work became the priority of the church. Joseph turned to his younger brother Samuel to set the standard for the great harvest of followers. Samuel, the first convert baptism of the young church, became its first missionary. On June 30, 1830, Samuel H. Smith was called on a mission to promulgate the Book of Mormon to the people in and around Palmyra. Samuel served many missions, and he never converted anyone, to the best of his understanding. On one occasion, he was so roughly treated at a tavern that he washed his feet in a testimony against the tavern owner. Later, as he was returning home from his missionary labors, he stopped back at that same tavern and learned that the owner had been infected with smallpox, and he and and two of his family had died, and no one else in the neighborhood had become ill. Well, undaunted, Samuel continued his missionary efforts. Little did he know the impact his tireless service would have someday upon the church. The day he left, a Book of Mormon with a Methodist preacher while laboring in the Minden, New York area would change the future of the church forever. Samuel had followed the old stagecoach line 30 miles west of Palmyra. Here he chanced upon a circuit preacher by the name of John P. Green, who agreed to sell a copy of the Book of Mormon to any interested party that he came across. Although Mr. Green was never able to sell the book, his wife, Rhoda Young Green, did read it, and was convinced of its truthfulness. As Samuel prepared to leave for home from his mission to Menden, he stopped to rest and eat at the John Tomlinson Inn. Now This was a stagecoach holstery in a dance hall at the time. A conversation then ensued between Samuel and a preacher by the name of Phineas Young. Here are Phineas Young's words of what transpired that evening, and I quote. In April 1830, I was on my way home from the town of Lima, where I had been to preach. I stopped at the house of a man by the name of Tomlinson to get some dinner. While engaged in a conversation with the family, a young man came in and walked across the room to where I was sitting and held a book towards me, saying, There's a book, sir. I wish you to read it. Well, the thing appeared to me to be so novel that for a moment I hesitated, saying, Pray, sir, what book have you? The Book of Mormon, or as it is called by some, the Golden Bible. Ah, sir, then it purports to be revelation. Yes, said he, it is a revelation from God. I took the book and by his request looked at the testimony of the witnesses. Said he, if you will read this book with a prayerful heart and ask God to give you a witness, you will know the truth of this work. Well, I told him I would do so, and then asked him his name. He said his name was Samuel H. Smith. Ah, said I, you are one of the witnesses. Yes, said he, I know the book to be a revelation from God, translated by the gift and power of the Holy Ghost, and that my brother, Joseph Smith, Jr., is a prophet, seer, and revelator. Well, Phineas took the book home and studied it. He shared it with his brother Joseph and Brigham, as well as with their father John Young. He also shared it with his sister Fanny Young Murray, who shared it with her daughter Violet Murray Kimball, who shared it with her husband Heber C. Kimball. By April of 1830, half of the Menden Baptist Church had joined the church, 65 of them having been baptized in Brigham Young's mill stream. Brigham Young was baptized on April 15, 1832 in his millstream by Eliezer Miller. The branch met in the Tomlinson Inn, the dance hall having been converted into a meeting house. It's interesting to note that Samuel Smith was never censured by Revelation and ultimately would die because of the things he believed. He was one of Joseph Smith's greatest advocates. The next few months were very busy for the young prophet as he dealt with the affairs of a new church and trying to keep Satan from polluting it with false prophets and revelations. In June of 1830, the vision of Moses, or the book of Moses, was revealed was revealed to Joseph. As Joseph attended to the church in Fayette, New York, far away in Amherst, Ohio, near Cleveland, a 23-year-old young man set out on a quest for truth. He was a Campbellite from Reverend Rigdon's church in Mentor, Ohio. His name was Parley P. Pratt. He and his wife, thankful Pratt, were headed to Albany, New York to visit friends and pursue some spiritual things. While passing through Rochester, he felt inspired to stay a season. He sent his wife on to Albany while he stayed, looking for the source of his inspiration. He visited an old Baptist deacon by the name of Hamlin who showed him a copy of the Golden Bible or Book of Mormon that he had acquired. Parley took the book and was immediately converted to the truthfulness of it. He sought out Hiram Smith and Palmyra and asked to be introduced to Joseph. Parley and Hiram walked the 25 miles to Fayette, New York to visit with Joseph on the next day. September 1st, 1830, Parley was baptized in Sienica Lake by the hand of Oliver Cowdery and ordained an elder. Parley went immediately to the home of his brother, Orson Pratt. He lived in Canaan, New York, and he shared the gospel with him. He was then baptized two weeks later on September 19, 1830, at the age of 19. Parley's zeal to spread the gospel did not go unnoticed. Shortly after the second conference of the church held in Fayette on September the 26th, 1830, with 62 members, Parley P. Pratt was called to serve a mission to the borders of the Lamanites in the western reserve of Missouri. In May of 1830, President Andrew Jackson signed the Indian Removal Act, providing for the general removal of Indians to lands west of the Mississippi River. This area became known as the Western Reserve. On October 18, 1830, Parley P. Pratt, Oliver Cowdery, Ziva Peterson, and Peter Whitmer Jr. set out for the borders of the Lamanites, all having been called as missionaries. As the group passed through buffalo, New York, they left two copies of the Book of Mormon with the friendly Cienica Indians. When the elders reached Ohio, Parley convinced his companions to stop at Mentor and visit his old friend Sidney Rigdon. Prior to Parley's conversion, he had studied under Sidney Rigdon. Sidney presided over a group of seekers of New Testament Christianity. At one time, Mr. Rigdon had merged his group with another secret group presided over by Alexander Campbell. Together, they founded the Campbellites, or the Disciples of Christ Church. Later, Sydney broke away and formed his own church, the Reformed Baptist Society. The elders were treated cordially by Sidney, and he consented to read their book and allowed them to speak in his congregation. Their sermons were greeted with great enthusiasm and belief. Meanwhile, the elders traveled down to Kirtland, Ohio, and preached door-to-door. On November 14, 1830, at the Methodist Meeting House in Kirtland, Sidney Rigdon announced his conversion to Mormonism. The next day, November 15, Sidney was baptized by Oliver Cowdery, Sidney's wife, Frederick G. Williams, William Wine Phelps, Newell K. Whitney, John Murdoch, Levi Hancock, and others were also baptized in the waters of the east branch of the Shargon River in Kirtland. Later, Sidney Rigdon and Frederick G. Williams would become part of the First Presidency of the Church. The four missionaries continued their work at the farm of Isaac Morley, Mr. Morley, along with a group of 100 people from Kirtland, had been experimenting with living in a communal order at his farm. Isaac Morley and Lyman White and their families accepted the gospel and were all baptized. In all, 127 converts were added to the church in the space of just one month. The missionaries continued their trek towards the borders of the Lamanites. On January 13, 1831, they arrived in Independence, Missouri. They had traveled for a month and a half, more than 300 miles, in intense cold, carrying their clothes, their books, and their food on their backs. Their efforts with the Indians of the Fort Leavenworth area resulted in considerable interest and success until the federal Indian agents ordered them to leave because they lacked permits to preach. Nevertheless, Joseph's fame among the Indian people grew. He became known as the Pale-Faced Prophet. Although the mission to the Lamanites was not very successful, these four valiant and courageous elders left a legacy that would last for eternity. Joseph received the reports of the missionaries with gladness and joy. He personally had experienced much sorrow with the passing of his grandfather, Asiel Smith, on October 31st, 1830. Asia was the one who had uttered many years earlier the prophetic statement that one day one of his posterity would change the course of religious history forever. In December of 1830, Joseph received visitors at his door. Sidney Rigdon and a close friend, Edward Partridge, had come to, quote, inquire further about the new religion. On December the 11th, 1830, Edward Partridge was baptized by Joseph and ordained an elder by his friend, Sidney Rigdon. Within a few short months, the church membership in Kirtland exceeded that of New York. In January 1831, at the third general conference of the church, the prophet received Doctrine and Covenants, section 37, stating that the church should gather together in Ohio. This would bring the power and influence of the church into one locality, easing the problem of supervision and providing much unity and strength to its members. This section says, Behold, I say unto you that it is not expedient in me that ye should translate any more until ye shall go to the Ohio, and this because of the enemy and for your sakes. And again I say unto you that ye shall not go until ye have preached my gospel in those parts, and have strengthened up the church whithersoever it is found, and more especially in Colesville. For behold, they pray unto me in much faith, And again a commandment I give unto the church, that it is expedient in me that they should assemble together at the Ohio against the time that my servant Oliver Cowder shall return unto them. Behold, here is wisdom, and let every man choose for himself until I come. Even so, amen. For a moment, I want us to consider the importance of Kirtland in the history of the church. So many significant things have taken place there much of that can be found in the two books that you see on the slide entitled the savior in kirtland and joseph smith's kirtland eyewitness accounts both by carl ricks anderson i would strongly encourage you to uh, to get those books and uh, take a look at them because they're they're very very well researched in september of eighteen thirty one the lord established a timeline literally a timeline for the church's stay in kirtland It is found in section 64. It is to last five years or until 1836. But I don't know if you knew that Kirtland started with a curse. Started with a curse. Doctrine and Covenants section 124 verse 83 reads, I have a scourge prepared for the inhabitants of Kirtland. However, on October the 14th, 1979, President Ezra Taft Benson lifted that scourge when he said, the scourge is being lifted today. Joseph was told that the Adamic name for Kirtland is Shina. We are told that Shina translates to, quote, the sun that gives light and warmth. It is also the land of the sun, he who gives light and knowledge. During Joseph's lifetime, he received 76 visions from the Lord. Half of those took place during the Kirtland era. Joseph saw the Savior at least 13 times in Kirtland, and 23 other church members, church leaders, saw the Savior or heard him speak. While in Kirtland, Joseph saw or communicated with 47 different personages. Individuals like Elias, who is Noah, Raphael, Moses, Enoch, Isaac, Enos, the 12 ancient apostles, Seth, Mahalalel, Alvin Smith, Joseph's brother who had died earlier, Adam, Eve, Elijah, Jacob, Methuselah, the 12 Nephite apostles, Jared, Canaan, John the Baptist, Paul, Abraham, Zelf, the Lamanite, Nephi, Mormon, and Moroni. These are, these are the people that Joseph Smith was interfacing with at times. Joseph put Hiram in charge of preparing these faithful Colesville saints uh, to move to Kirtland. He had John Whitmer sent to Kirtland to preside until Joseph and his entourage would arrive. The prophet Emma, Sidney Rigdon, Ezra Thayer, and Newell Knight all left for Kirtland, Ohio in January of 1831. Kirtland would become the schooling grounds for the church. Over half of the Doctrine and Covenants would be received there in Kirtland. February the 1st, 1831, was a cold winter day. Joseph, Emma, Sidney Rigdon, and Edward Partridge arrived by sleigh in front of the Newell K. Whitney store. Let me show you a uh, an old picture of the Newell K. Whitney store. This particular uh, Picture of the new OK Whitney store uh, dates right around 1900, between 1900 and 1910. You can see the old automobile there. It was a postcard. This is this particular store has a very very tenured history, and uh, I'm going to share some of that off and on uh, during the next podcast or two. And then also let me share with you that over my right shoulder is a picture of Joseph and his wife Emma. This particular picture. Um, courtesy of the Community of Christ Church portrays this couple and we'll be talking today considerably about Emma and the trials Joseph and Emma had with family so I wanted to uh, to share that with you. The Whitney store originally called the Gilbert and Whitney store with Algernon Sidney Gilbert the senior partner was built in 1823. It served as a post office and a gathering place for the Saints. Joseph walked into the store and greeted the owner by exclaiming, Newell K. Whitney, thou art the man. Well, seeing Newell so confused as being known by a complete stranger, Joseph assured and amazed Newell by his reply. I am Joseph the prophet. You prayed me here. Now what do you want of me? Well, Newell was now witness to the literal fulfillment of an answer to his prayer when on a very sacred occasion sometime earlier the Holy Spirit had descended upon the Whitney home in the form of a cloud overshadowing all and out of the cloud a voice was heard proclaiming and I quote prepare to see receive the word of the Lord for it is coming now the prophet and Emma who was at this time six months pregnant were invited to stay with the Whitney family in their home adjacent to the store Joseph settled into establishing now the church in Kirtland. Edward Partridge was called as the first bishop, the bishop's storehouse being located in part of the Whitney Store. Joseph received Doctrine and Covenant section 42, the law of consecration, which would enable the migrating saints to be cared for as they arrived in Kirtland. The revelation was received in part due to the social experiment of communal living which was in place at the Isaac Morley farm involving that group of nearly one hundred people. It was in February that Alexander Campbell, the Campbellite minister, wrote a derogatory review in the Millennial Harbinger called Delusions of the Book of Mormon. Mr. Campbell was greatly troubled because of the success of the missionaries on his little flock. With Emma expecting, Joseph received Doctrine and Covenants section 41, asking that a house be built for the prophet. Isaac Morley built a small home for Joseph on his farm, and on March 1st, the prophet moved to the Morley farm. They would live there about six months. Well, During the spring, Joseph was faced with a variety of challenges. The translation of the New Testament began on March 8th, and missionary efforts were constantly pursued. Sidney Rigdon, Parley P. Pratt, and Lehman Copley, a former Shaker, were called on two missions. They were called to preach to the Shaker colony in Cleveland. Unfortunately, their efforts fell on deaf ears and Brother Copley lost his testimony and would eventually leave the church. The prophet also witnessed some rather bizarre behavior. Children who claimed to see visions and ran around doing strange things. and There was this woman named Hubble who claimed to be a prophetess who wanted to be ordained a teacher. These incidents led Joseph to inquire of the Lord. He received Doctrine and Covenants section 43, describing the nature of how revelation is to be received in the church. And this ye shall know assuredly, that there is none other appointed unto you to receive commandments and revelations until he be taken, if he, abide in, if he abide in me. But verily, verily, I say unto you, that none else shall be appointed unto this gift except it be through him. So that became very clear how revelation was to be received in the church. In the spring, Isaac Morley built a 14-foot square schoolhouse on his farm for the prophet to teach from. It is here in the schoolhouse that Joseph and two others witnessed a vision of the father and son. Thirteen revelations would be given the prophet while at the Morley farm, and it was here that Joseph prophesied that the saints would go to the Rocky Mountains. Let me share with you that revelation as told by Wilford Woodruff. On Sunday night, the prophet called all who held the priesthood to gather into the little log house that they had there. It was a small house, perhaps 14 foot square, but it held the whole of the priesthood of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who were then in town in Kirtland, and who had gathered together to go off in Zion's camp. That was the first time I ever saw Oliver Cowdery or heard him speak, the first time I ever saw Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball, and the two Pratts and Orson Hyde and many others. There were no apostles in the church then except Joseph Smith and Oliver Cowdery. When we got together, the prophet called upon the elders of Israel and with him to bear testimony of this work. Those that I have named spoke, and a good many others that I have not named bore their testimony. When they got through, the prophet said, Brethren, I have been very much edified and instructed in your testimonies here tonight. But I want to say to you before the Lord that you know no more concerning the destinies of this church and kingdom than a babe upon his mother's lap. You don't comprehend it. Well, I was rather surprised. He said, It is only a little handful of priesthood you see here tonight. But this church will fill North and South America. It will fill the world. Among other things, he said, it will fill the Rocky Mountains. There will be tens of thousands of Latter-day Saints who will be gathered in the Rocky Mountains. And there they will open the door for the establishing of the gospel among the Lamanites, who will receive the gospel and their endowments and the blessings of God. This people will go into the Rocky Mountains. They will build temples to the Most High. They will raise up a posterity there, and the Latter-day Saints who dwell in these mountains will stand in the flesh until the coming of the Son of Man. The Son of Man will come to them while in the Rocky Mountains. Building temples in the Rocky Mountains. Heavens, we've got 23 temples in Utah. I don't know if you can name all of these temples that are pictured here, but for those of you that are listening to this, audio only, perhaps we can review these 23 temples. We have the Draper Temple, the Layton Temple, Saratoga Springs, Ogden, Payson, Taylorsville. have temples at the Tooele Valley Temple, Red Cliffs Temple, Ogden, Salt Lake, Bountiful, Provo Temple, the Vernal Temple. The Manti, St. George, Layton, Brigham City, and Provo Temples. And lastly, Monticello, Mount Timpanogos, River Jordan, Cedar City, and the Orem Temples. Now some of these are all not completed yet and still under construction. But 23 temples certainly is very, very prophetic as far as what Joseph had to say in temples filling the Rocky Mountains. The Smith family experienced much joy and sadness while living at the Morley Farm. Their joy came on April thirtieth, 1831, when Emma gave birth to twins. The twins would be called Thaddeus and Louisa. They thought that they would replace the uh, loss of Alvin, their, their son born when they lived in Harmony, Pennsylvania, Their joy, however, turned to sadness when after only three hours, the twins passed away. Their sadness was partially compensated, however, when Brother John Murdoch offered the Smith family the opportunity to adopt his twin children, born that same day that Emma gave birth to her twins. You see, Sister Julia Murdoch had died giving birth to her twins, Julia was staying at the home of her friend, Caleb Baldwin, at the time of the, her delivery and, and ultimate death. John was away serving a mission. This tragedy left John to care now for five children plus twins. Joseph and Emma gladly adopted the children at nine days old and named them Joseph Murdoch Smith and Julia Murdoch Smith after her biological mother. John Murdoch was an incredible individual, a very valiant member of the church. He actually is one of the most successful missionaries on, on record. In his first mission, he converted more than 65 people in the town of Orange, Ohio. You can see he served missions in Missouri, Ohio, Virginia, the Eastern States, Vermont, Indiana, and ultimately Australia. At the cemetery in Kirtland, the twin children of Emma, Louisa, and Thaddeus are thought to be buried. Others buried there include Hiram's first wife, Jerusha Smith, Joseph's grandmother, Mary Duty Smith, and a future friend, John Johnson, whom we'll talk about later. The community of Christ Church has placed a marker in tribute to those buried in Kirtland, and this particular marker is focuses on the two. Two women there, Jerusha Smith and Mary Duty Smith. It reads, quote, to the memory of two of those who symbolize the abounding faith, courage, and fortitude of the pioneer women of the church. Others no doubt have been laid to rest in many unmarked graves. In the nearby community of Willoughby, there's a medical college where the students thought nothing of digging up the Mormon cadavers for their medical research. Grave robbing actually became a very serious problem in Kirtland, so much so that many were laid to rest in unmarked graves because of the sacrilege. On May 14th, the Colesville Saints, led by Newell Knight, left New York for their new home in Ohio. After traveling the Erie Canal to Buffalo, then by steamer, to Lake Erie, and then finally to Fairport Harbor, Ohio, the Colesville Saints settled in Thompson, Ohio, on the property of Lehman Copley. Now, we talked a little bit about Lehman and his uh, missionary endeavors to the Shakers earlier, but the Lehman Copley Farm comprised 759 acres of beautiful farmland d 51, the Law of Consecration and Stewardship, was actually received and first implemented with these Colesville Saints in Thompson. Copley concentrated his property to the Lord. The Saints were given stewardship of this land. They helped plant his fields and fence his property. This relationship, however, lasted only a few weeks because Lehman Copley broke his covenant with the Lord because of those events that occurred on his mission to the Shakers. Copley forced the Saints to Flee off his land. Copley later testified against the prophet Joseph Smith in a trial in 1834. Copley, however, was rebaptized in the church in April of 1836, but remained in Ohio when the saints moved west. Today his grave is found in an inconspicuous, dark, damp, and almost unknown cemetery. Other groups of saints soon began to arrive. A group of 80 were led by Lucy Mac Smith from Fayette, New York. This group has been likened to the complaining children of Israel, causing Lucy much grief and heartache. At one point, while waiting for the ice to break up in Buffalo, Lucy cried repentance to the saints and asked for relief from their hardship. The ice suddenly parted, creating a narrow passage that allowed the boat that they were on to pass through the narrow pass closed immediately behind them. Lucy's arrival at the Smith home was one of great joy for rumors had spread that she had drowned in Lake Erie with a number of other Saints. Later a third group of Saints arrived from Palmyra they were led by Martin Harris. On June 3rd through the 6th at the Morley Farm the fourth conference of the church was held. 2,000 people now attended conference it was on this special occasion that Joseph and two others witnessed a vision of the Father and Son. On June 6th, Joseph received a revelation, DNC 52, telling him to go to Missouri where the land of the saints' inheritance would be revealed. Algernon Sidney Gilbert, Sidney Rigdon, William Wine Phelps were to accompany the prophet on this particular trip. W. W. Phelps, the first printer of the church, was to assist. Oliver Cowdery when they arrived with establishing at Preston Missouri Oliver and his missionary companions had early established a small branch of the church in independence while teaching the Indians Let's take just a moment and ask ourselves a really really important question why Missouri why Missouri and what really ever happened to those four very valiant, faithful missionaries that traipsed on after Kirtland through the snow to Missouri. Let's review their history. After the success in Kirtland, where 127 individuals were baptized, they traveled on to the frontier border of Missouri. They began their trek in late December and traveled through the month of January. Traveling was difficult because of what has been called, and I quote, the winter of the deep snow. Parley P. Pratt describes how the missionaries had to halt for a few days in Illinois on account of the extended storms, and he said, during which the snow fell in some places near three feet deep. Well, with their original plans frustrated by ice on the river, they decided to journey by foot. Parley wrote, and I quote, for 300 miles through vast Prairies and through trackless wilds of snow, no beaten road, houses few and far between, and the bleak northwest wind always blowing in our face with a keenness which would almost take the skin off the face. After much fatigue and some suffering, we all arrived in Independence, in the county of Jackson, on the extreme western frontier of Missouri and of the United States. Once the group arrived in Independence, Peter Whitmer Jr. and Ziba Peterson remained in independence to earn some money. Oliver Cowdery, Parley P. Pratt, and Frederick G. Williams, who had joined this group in Kirtland, went over to the Indian Territory. They first preached to the Shawnee and then to the Delaware Indians. Speaking through an interpreter, Oliver Cowdery shared the essential message of the Book of Mormon. Part of this message, as recorded by Parley P. Pratt, was this. The Lord commanded Mormon and Moroni, their last wise men and prophets, to hide the book in the earth, that it might be preserved in safety and be found and made known in the latter days to the pale faces who should possess this land, that they might again make it known to the red man in order to restore him to the knowledge of the will of the great spirit and to his favor. Well, the Indians requested that the missionaries return again in the spring. However, because of an order by a federal agent, the missionaries were expelled from Indian territory due to lacking a permit to preach. The brethren sought unsuccessfully to get authorization from William Clark, the superintendent of Indian affairs in the area, and so the missionaries were no longer to proselyte in the Indian territory. Although the Lamanite mission ended somewhat unsuccessfully, it helped chart a course for the fledgling church that would follow during the coming decade. These missionaries established the church not only in the Kirtland area, but also in Independence. They opened up a way for Joseph Smith to go to Ohio in 1831. And later in 1831, Joseph would travel himself to this part of the country, Jackson County, Missouri and there he would find the location for the New Jerusalem. And then again later, on August the 3rd, 1831, near the Independence Courthouse, Joseph would lay a cornerstone for an incredible temple that would be built there someday. Well, thank you for joining me today. Our next podcast will continue our quest to follow the echo of a beating heart.
0: This Come Follow Me video series is a bonus resource to enhance your appreciation of the Prophet Joseph Smith with little-known facts and research about American and church history. Thank you for listening today and for sharing this ComeFollowMe2021.com website. We sure appreciate those who have been contributing on our Patreon page under Latter-day Media. We'll have a link in the show notes, and we would love to invite more to help support this work. To contact Kay, email him at footstepsofjoseph at gmail.com. And coming soon are six hours of DVDs following the footsteps of Joseph.